You can think of this series three as really um, a kind of template for building a movement. And, and what happened, it was very uh, organic and kind of free for all. I had no idea what I was doing throughout the process, but it starts in March of 2022. I know that I have to uh, get inside the school system. There was a tremendous amount of joy for me. Like I said, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of disobeying different thoughts in my head about um, doing this kind of social movement. Consciousness, the notion of the self, personality structure, transactional analysis, symbiosis, Zen Buddhism, teacher-student relationships, training yourself in how to think. To subvert is to undermine the existing system of inscribed power and authority. What's happening in the digital space? The virtual world. Much of us live in a hyper-stimulated present where language itself has become the info currency in the sequence of corporate capitalism. The injunction of the virtual world is... The gatekeepers of our speech and written word are global tech monopolies. We cannot transcend or go beyond our lack through craving. What are we going to do? How are we going to live our life? The subversive therapist is about what the virtual world is doing to us and what we can do about it. Well, welcome to the subversive therapist podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Archer. I wanted to kind of give a summary and wrap up series three uh, as series four is in production right now. And I can talk a little bit about that. Um, so if you've listened to, to series three, um, you know, it's all about this stay at home day, um, kind of social movement that developed. And there's some um, recordings of school board meetings that I attended and spoke at along with some other um, parents. And kind of what I figured out through this process is that this series three is um, illustrates the development of a social movement. And that's what I think we need more of in the United States. We need to be teaching our children how to build social networks in the real world, uh, because my conclusion thus far in terms of my conversations and interactions with the school system where I live is that it's a closed system. It has, I think, totalitarian um, characteristics in terms of not letting information in or out. You know, I asked questions about social emotional learning, uh, which I have kind of a critique of. Uh, couldn't get much information there and wasn't able to uh, form any kind of public discussion around uh, mass shootings. My son and I uh, created these magnets about stay at home day. He wasn't allowed to distribute those. He wasn't allowed to hand out slips of paper with the website www.stayathomeday.com. So it was interesting, but I wanted to kind of wrap up and explain kind of the origin of this movement. It was way back in March of 2022 that I contacted um, the school and attempted to uh, kind of gain entry by teaching meditation. There's a recording of um, that contact back in, in March of 2022. 
I'm interested, uh, if possible, and if there's a need and an interest for it, of potentially teaching, you know, in the elementary school, you know, whether that's kindergarten or first grade or, you know, um, whatever, because right now <laughs> some of my youngest students can't even talk. They're only <laughs> about two years old and stuff, so I'm just kind of introducing mindfulness and, and meditation and things. But do you know, like, someone that you could potentially connect me with or that that might be able to discuss that um you know it'd be for the school year coming up if anything so i i made uh connections with the school district i attended a threat assessment meeting in the summer of 2022 and then you know approached some of the administration about teaching meditation that didn't end up working out but the point is you have to kind of invite yourself into uh, these systems or these institutions as an independent uh, person or an independent contractor to really figure out what's what's happening within these systems. And then, of course, undermine the authority, subvert the authority. So what my son and I did was we made these uh, magnets that undermined uh, the principles authority at the school and was quickly told we couldn't um, do that. So you reveal uh, kind of the power structure by undermining the authority and seeing basically where the, the boundary lines are, because what happened or what my kind of conclusion was with all of this was that um, the, this issue of, of school violence, of mass shootings is uh is an infringement upon uh, the First Amendment, the right to free speech, free expression, uh, kind of what you see happening uh, more so on the right in the U.S. is, you know, trying to, quote unquote, protect children from sexualization and what they call gender ideology or woke ideology. The outcome is going to be the removal of certain discussions around sexuality, gender, uh, sort of rewriting history, only certain books are allowed, you know, so it's going to be the the elimination of, of free speech. And when you connect this process with uh, mass shootings, and what I learned from attending this threat assessment review and, and working with the admin that are uh, in charge of kind of safety with the school, is that they have access to all of um, the individual's Uh, data, what they've done on school computers, what they're doing on social media. And so that's a Fourth Amendment issue in terms of the seizure of information based on a potential threat. It's not like somebody has done something. It's, you know, makes me think of the, the movie, The Minority Report with Tom Cruise. It's actually a Philip K. Dick, um, short story under the same name, uh, this idea of pre-crime is that you can prevent uh, crime from happening in the future based on knowledge uh, in the present or historical information of what that person has done. So it's very much an infringement, uh, Fourth Amendment. So the the media keeps bombarding us with this idea that it's a Second Amendment issue. People on one side, oh, they're going to come and steal all our guns. Um, and that's really a distraction from what's happening uh, in society at large, which with cancel culture and everything that's happening, 
is the the elites, the people in power, whatever you want to call them, are trying to chip away at the First Amendment by manufacturing consent around surveillance, the the normalization of surveillance, and that we're all surveilling one another. If you're not speaking the right language, uh, for example, if you if you think people should be allowed to express themselves and whatever they think about their gender, uh, you know you that's slowly becoming the other is the LGBTQ plus community uh, that they're woke and they're indoctrinating and sexualizing children, et cetera. There's all this fear and whatnot about it, and I'll be talking about that in the next uh, series. So bringing it back to you know, big tech, which is the emphasis of this podcast, the virtual world, and then making a bridge into this next series, which is going to be titled Games Fascist Play. Uh, Fascism, uh, Robert Paxton in The Anatomy of Fascism gives a whole historical view of 20th century fascism and how this was a global phenomenon. And it, it really emerged in Italy and in, in Germany around, you know, uh, World War II based on specific conditions. But one way of thinking about fascism, and this comes from his book, is that regimes try to redraw in a radical way the boundaries between private and public. Uh, in the private sphere, excuse me, the private sphere uh, basically disappears. Um, this This person is quoted in saying, with the Nazi state, uh, the only private individual was someone asleep. So tie this into the school system. If everything is tracked um, that they're doing inside the school, there's cameras in every room, uh, their digital media and things they're doing on the computers tracked through um, third party corporations, things like securely is the one that is used in the school district. Um, there's no privacy because then they take computers that are school issued back home, but that's all being tracked. So you're being tracked uh, sort of in a voluntary way when you go on Google on your own computer. But with with the school system, you're required to use um, applications and things. Uh, There's no real um, division anymore between private and public. It's all public information. I mean, just jump to uh, the COVID pandemic, for example. Your vaccine status was made uh, quite visible. Um, Your medical records are shared. You know, this is all in the name of convenience and and everything with tech. Uh, so, So Paxton says, for some observers, this effort to have the public sphere swallow up the private sphere uh, entirely is indeed the very essence of fascism. It is certainly a fundamental point on which fascist regimes deferred most profound, or excuse me, differed most profoundly from authoritarian conservatism and even more profoundly from classical liberalism. Uh, so this idea that um, everything moves into the public sphere you know, everyone is going to have a YouTube show and a podcast. This is where I'm I'm being very hypocritical uh, with the subversive therapist is we're all 
making all of ourselves transparent, everything uh, that we do. And that that sets the stage. I'm not implying that the school system is is fascistic. It's uh, but it 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 promotes that idea, it normalizes that idea because now the parents are just the ones that are monitoring their kids. But we have these third party um, platforms, corporations that that do that surveillance in the name of security and safety. You know, they say they can prevent suicides and mass shootings, even though there's not a lot of evidence um, for that. So this is kind of where my head is at right now. And so you can think of this series three as really um, a kind of template for building a movement. And and what happened, it was very uh, organic and kind of free for all. I had no idea what I was doing throughout the process, but it starts in March of 2022. I know that I have to uh, get inside the school system. Then I connect uh, through the th- threat assessment review by contacting uh, the superintendent. Superintendent, We get uh, to the school. I make contact about doing meditation. And then it was through an online lecture that I re- when I was doing a, a lecture about um, Columbine. There's this myth that they they did it on 420 because it was the, I think, 110th anniversary of Adolf Hitler's birthday. They would have done it on on the Tuesday before, on the 19th. They just didn't have all the ammo um, that day. So there, there's no indication that that had anything um, to do with it. But the most common day for a mass shooting is April 20th. I already have it in my calendar that my kindergartner uh, is going to have a daddy day on uh, April 20th somebody participating in it was very fearful, didn't want their kids to go to school, didn't want to be, you know, working or engaged in something that day separate from from their children. When I said that April 20th uh, was a very likely day for a mass shooting, it's the anniversary of Columbine. April's a historically, you know, very violent month in the United States, the Revolutionary War, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, massacre, the Oklahoma City bombing, etc. So uh, once I learned that, I thought, oh, wow, that that makes sense. If you're a parent and you know this information, that you might want to stay at home that day. So that was another sort of organic thing that happened. And with that, um, you know, my kids almost every day, especially the younger ones, We'll say, is it a stay-at-home day? Which means, is it a weekday where you go to school versus a weekend? And so it just clicked uh, based on this feedback about the fear around April 20th. Let's make it a stay-at-home day. You know, really kind of trying to depoliticize it uh, that everyone could just uh, acknowledge that that date, acknowledge mass shootings. And so then I connected uh, with Tyler, who's on... Um, the podcast and a couple different interviews. Uh, We don't share the same political views on things. We both have kids in kindergarten. And so we work together. And, and again, this thing just kind of built up. We were on the news for an interview about it. Uh, But my, my sons and I, you know, we kind of caught fire uh, from some people. They didn't like the magnets. Uh, They thought, um, the stay at home day implied that we were making a threat 
about April 20th that we were going to do something. Uh, we got a lot of funny looks when we were standing outside the school protesting with signs that said harmony and love and peace and Zen. So it was really an activating uh, process. Most of this happened in March of, of 2023, where we were protesting, we were handing out uh, flyers, putting magnets on cars, and there was a lot of fear uh, coming up for me and the the parent state sort of the conditioning in my head saying that you really shouldn't do this. Uh, but I also recognized that it was probably a, a familiar game for me. Uh, the next series is going to be Games Fascist Play. And one of the games uh, that Byrne writes about in his book, Games People Play, is Kick Me. And this is a provocational type of game. And so I was provoking a response, obviously, from people. And I was challenging authority, undermining authority. And so I would get sort of kicks from people. You know, that example of uh, parents saying to me that this could be implied that I was going to do some kind of shooting or things. Now, what I didn't do was uh, fall into the victim position. Uh, this always happens to me. These people are kicking me. I, I wasn't uh, engaged with that, but it still felt very script-like what was happening and how things were going down. Uh, and so that's one of the things I've I've learned from this this movement that developed. And so when I think about the next school year and really focusing on uh, this tech stuff, this surveillance of our kids, I'm going to approach it in a little bit different way. Uh, still the subversion, but more trying to bring people together, maybe making it uh, less scary, that kind of thing. Uh, but but my point in all this is that uh, you can create your own uh, stay-at-home day, your own movement uh by, get, by building a network around an, an issue. And if nothing else, it exposes uh, the power structure. And what I'm seeing is that it's the same within the school, uh, specific school that my son attends in the district and connected nationally around uh, the infringement on the First Amendment and pushing this militarization of all aspects of society so, for example, the school system, like I said, there's cameras everywhere. They're tracking what they're doing online. They're going to make vestibules for that school entrances, which means they're going to make them prison like, you know, you walk in the door, the door locks behind you. It's locked in front of you. You have to say the secret password to get in, that kind of thing, um, which is is being pushed based on fear. It's not that statistically that's going to make it any safer. Um I spoke with the um, kind of security team through the district and and they have uh, police officers at a couple of the high schools. They call them resource officers, euphemism. They're the guys with guns. Uh, but I said to them, you know, in the book, The Violence Project says that it's there's a higher rate of shootings, a higher rate of of death and injury if there is a school officer because it it creates a target for the mass shooter they want to be shot by the police um and they said well we have a good relationship with these resource officers but it doesn't make any sense and so this is how the militarization of aspects of society is created it's created through uh 
desire in the part of the individuals. You know, parents think, oh, yeah, that'll keep us safe just intuitively, even though it doesn't. So that's how it it creeps in. Uh, but I'm going to be focusing in the next year more on this tech stuff, um, the invasion of kind of privacy. So that will probably be a kind of series five, you know, um, coming more in in 2024. So like I said, for this next series, um, I'm in conversation with my closest friend, who is a longtime social worker, psychotherapist, um, brilliant guy. And what we're doing is we're taking specific games from Eric Burns' book, very popular book, Games People Play. It was on the bestsellers list for like 101 weeks. Um, and we're taking those games to the current kind of political realities of American culture, Western culture, and framing them in terms of how fascistic uh, these games are, because, uh, you know, fascism is really about supremacy, uh, that there's this construct of race and certain uh, races are more supreme than others. Uh, so you create an other like the Nazis did with socialist communists and then um, the the Jewish people. Uh, there's all this anti-Semitism. But remember, with the Nazi regime, they put uh, socialists and communists into concentration camps first, then the Jews after that. Um, so that's what Series 4 is going to focus on. But uh, this Series 3, you can think of it as this kind of template. Um, and there's really, a, there was a tremendous amount of joy for me. Like I said, there was a lot of fear there was a lot of disobeying different thoughts in my head about um, doing this kind of social movement, going to the school board meetings, challenging them on this issue, which which they they basically stonewalled us on it. They wouldn't give any kind of public opinion on it. You know, if you're a parent, you have kids that go to school, you get these, you know, fluffy little emails from the administration on how things are going and kind of the calendar of the year. But uh, there was the um, the shooting in, uh, I think it was Nashville, Tennessee, that happened. There's multiple others during this uh, this process, and there there was no response from the school system other than, you know, uh, keeping kids safe is a priority, um, that kind of thing. So th there was a lot of joy with the connection with my kids, um, with with Tyler, but it was only through breaking through that fear and having, you know, kind of companionship with these people, solidarity and doing something that we felt was important, was right. And what was so funny is, you know, I was just very busy with work, doing this podcast, doing the protest stuff. And I was so relieved when April 20th came to pass. And fortunately, there wasn't, as far as I know, a mass shooting on that day. Uh, and then right away the next week, you know, my boys were up at six in the morning saying, are we going to go and protest? And I said, listen, I gotta, I gotta have a break. I can't do this uh, constantly. Uh, but it, it was an extremely memorable experience. Um, I, I think they're forever changed by it. They have that knowledge that isn't so intellectual, it's embodied. And I spoke to that uh, using the four statements of Zen 
in the final school board meeting, I went to, uh, which is really a great opportunity. Uh, if you, if you, if you live, you know, where, anywhere that you live in a school district, you can go to these, um, public meetings and have a, an opportunity to speak. I would do it more frequently, but I run psychotherapy groups, uh, during the time that they run these meetings. So I actually had to cancel them, uh, to do that. Anyways, um, again, this is just kind of a wrap up to series three. Uh, it was really a ton of fun. It was extremely stressful. Uh, but now I have a template and this is why I'm sharing it, uh, for you to do the same. There'll be another movement, uh, that I'll, I'll record just like I did with series three. But before then, there's going to be a bunch of episodes, conversation with my friend Don and I talking about fascism, game analysis, and ultimately Zen. Um, Zen is is really about revolution, uh, but it's about uh, revolution of revolution itself. So, for example, uh, ironically, with this stay at home day, um, through the process, I realized, you know, Yes, there's a danger of violence and shooting in the schools, but all over the United States, I was actually much less fearful of that happening. And so I didn't have my kids go to school that day and we went to a movie. So we didn't even abide by our own logic of stay at home day. So you you create a movement, but you have to be self-critical um, of that and learn as you go. So I might find out through a process, you know, studying the surveillance of kids and these tech companies, companies like Securely, which is out of Silicon Valley, you know, it's a it's a San Francisco um, firm. You know, maybe I'll have a different perspective on it. So you can look for that. But uh, coming up with Series Four, it'll be games, fascist play. You know, referencing people like Trump, uh, DeSantis, uh, Biden. You know, just triangulation in general. But also, you know, kind of media games, uh, this emphasis on uh, gender ideology, quote unquote, um, this gender identity game or, or protest is another one that I've made up uh, specifically climate change uh, is you first make a personality of the movement and then you demonize the, that movement or the tactics. Like, for example, with uh, the stay at home day. People said, you know, isn't there a better way to handle this? Maybe not staying at home because that inconveniences people. And it's easy to criticize uh, a movement which isn't a solid thing. It's constantly changing and is certainly imperfect. But that's what happens with things like um, Just Stop Oil, which comes out of Britain, uh, or uh, Extinction Rebellion, is you're disrupting people's lives. So Things like that is, is what we're talking about. And, and they're real practical because these games, you can see them on the individual level. But what we do is try and uh, see it from a political perspective so that rather than debating these issues from a personal uh, bias, like this is right or this is wrong, is what's actually happening in these encounters. Uh, for example, uh, I'm sure this podcast is guilty of it, but if you listen to a lot of podcasts and interviews, which I do, the vast majority of them are playing, it's called Ain't It Awful, or it's a pastime of Ain't It Awful. It begins essentially with 
someone saying nowadays, you know, nowadays it's like this and then everybody jumps on. Yeah, it's awful. And so most of it is, is fixated on um, gender and individuals that identify as transgender or outside of this binary. And I, I think it's really uh, creating a kind of neo-fascist um, culture. That's not enough to bring fascism to the United States because fascism is really about mobilizing passions and energies and, and forcing everyone to come into a movement uh, that's not happening in the United States. But it's it's a way to understand this phenomenon and to be um, cautious of it and to understand um, that that is uh, that is something that's always kind of lurking about. And the way we frame it in these these recordings we've started to do is that there's a little fascist um, inside of us. That's what Byrne wrote about right before he died. Uh, this part that wants tissue damage, you know, wants to sort of humiliate the other, tear them apart, that kind of thing. And that's what we each need to um, to deal with, that it's not so much externalized. Of course, that's what happens. That's what happened with Mussolini and, and uh, Hitler, because there are these demagogues that could, you know, rile people up and and really in the name of, uh, uh, of violence and imperialism, uh, that kind of thing. So that's kind of my epilogue update in terms of where things are going with this podcast. I'm really excited about this next series. And like I said, um, understanding the surveillance in the school system uh, coming up this next school year. So thanks so much for um, listening. This is a subversive therapist. Uh, take care.